Well, greetings to each of you in the precious name of Jesus. I kind of feel like a little bit of a stranger here this morning. Um, I don't think there's many that I know. I know Brother Earl Hurst and uh, Brother Warren Note. Warrens and us were brought together a number of years ago with the death of our children. And uh, so we learned to know them. But I think some of the other faces here I may have seen before, but I could, cannot put a, a name with you. We're from the St. Thomas congregation, and we want to extend greetings from there also to you, each one of you. As I was sitting here, when I was thinking about strangers, you know, it's one of the interesting things that I always think you can Meet someone, and they may have been a stranger, but when there's a connection between you and the Lord Jesus, there's just something that happens there that, that brings us together. And uh, I guess my encouragement for you as a congregation would be what the Apostle Paul told the Philippians there in, in the beginning of that book where he says, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. And I think that that's one of the um, reasons that we come together, that we can have a more full understanding of of Christ. <clears throat> Wasn't sure... What to share this morning as I was thinking, I don't know how long ago it has been, that Brother Earl asked me if I would come and share a message. Um, in fact, two, two weeks ago from today, my wife's family, we were sitting together planning uh, her mother's funeral. She had passed away the day before. And... Uh, I had to think of her completing her course. And uh, she had, um, for her, her race was complete. And uh, as our brother was sharing in the devotion, I guess the Lord wanted you all to have a little bit of a double dose this morning because I'm going to be sharing a good bit of my message from um, Hebrews chapter 12, the first 17 verses. If you want to, you can turn to that. But when, I, when I'm thinking about, uh, you know, someone has said that each one of us are making a dash. And, what a, and for, for uh, each one of us, that dash may be short or it may be long. But the important thing is what takes place during that dash, but also the end of the dash. If you understand what I'm saying there, uh, you know, there's there's many that and I guess one of the things that, that brought this to my mind as we were standing there in the in the line of the of the viewing. Uh, many people come through there and there's a lot of folks that I have not seen for a while. And at one time I would have thought that they were that they were on the right path. And I don't want to I don't want to make a judgment on any of those people, but from the appearances of some things, 
things did not look like they were going well. So I guess that I want this, this morning to, as a, as a share, to to maybe uh, encourage us along in that uh, in that race and some of the things that we have to do if we want to run that race in a success in a successful way. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them, unto all them also that love his appearing. And I love that there. You know, uh, I, I hope that I can say that same thing when I know that my life is ending. As the Apostle Paul said here, he says that I have fought a good fight. And I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. And then he goes on to share with the um, the reward that is coming. He also uh, says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they which run... In a race, run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run ye, that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And we know that if we, if we would go out here and line up and run a race, there would be one winner. But again... This is something that we all can be winners at the end. I don't know how many of you, I'm sure most of you know John Martin, but if you often ask John how he's doing, um, and I hope this isn't just an off-the-wall answer, but he just says winning. Uh, And that's the way we want to be. But because of the type of the reward that Paul uh, Saul here that this incorruptible reward, he says that we are to run carefully. And it goes on in that chapter. He says, I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I should not be a castaway. <clears throat> And that verse there where he says, I run, not as uncertainly. Another translation says, for my part, then, I run with no wavering of the goal. I box not as one beating the air. We, to me, he just simply saying, we have to be convinced. In this race that we're running, we have to be convinced of uh, of it, this is what we want to do. I think so many times uh, there, there's too many people that are in this thing half-heartedly, and they aren't sure if. Well, I'll say it this way: they know what they don't want, but they're not sure what they do want. <clears throat> and I think that someone talks about beating the air. So many times we can spend. Spend so much energy on things that really do not uh, do not count. But he says that he does not he he does not do things uh, just just to waste his waste his energy. <clears throat> then 
a verse in Second Timothy 1.12. It says, for, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not, sh- not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And to me, that's a special promise. Again, the idea of commitment or being persuaded, being convinced. And the reason we can, we can, we can have that persuasion or, or be convinced is because there's one here it says, he says that all these things that he has committed to him, he's going to um, keep them for him. And we can be sure that, um, that he is able. I think it means here that he did not run as not knowing what object uh, he's aimed at. He did not run in a haphazard way. Uh, or he did not just waste his strength uh, beating at, at things that do not really count. And um, so I think that let, let's keep in focus. And, and as I go through the message, that's probably going to be one of the things that I probably stress as much as anything Let's be focused. Let's be clear. Winning a race requires purpose and discipline. So I want to look at some of these areas of purpose. We need a plan and then we need a prize. We need to be prepared. Uh, Ephesians 6, which I'm not going to turn to that there, but it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. And I think of this as being a the, some preparations that we need to we need to take to be ready for this race. I see. Um, maybe I should just read um, the one verse there in, in Ephesians six, where it says, "Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." Uh, so I see that we need prayer, fellowship with with Christ and the, and the saints. And I think that that's something that uh, we should not take for granted. The fellowship of the saints and how we need um, each other. I don't know how things were handled here, but um, when COVID first hit and then things were shut down, uh, there was something that I really missed. That we could not come together. Yes, we we sent several people to the to the uh, to the church, and they would uh, do some preaching that we could all hear. But it was it just wasn't like when we could come together and uh, and um, and share together. I remember someone saying, and I'm not sure. Maybe it was my wife, or I'm, I'm not sure. Said uh, it had been I don't know how many weeks and. We we still weren't to get together, but Wilmer was the one that was to go to the church and share a message. And someone someone said they almost had to cry when they heard his voice coming across. You know, there's just a specialness of of being together. <clears throat> Hebrews Hebrews 12, which is the that I want to look at some here. It says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith." Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> so, as uh, in, in, in Hebrews here, we see the race 
that is that is set before us. And as I look at it, there are preparations that need to be made. And there's the second part of this chapter is Christ's desire to perfect us in that race, which our brother spoke a little bit about to us in our devotions. So at this time, I'm going to uh, read the first 17 verses of of chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, <clears throat> for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which exerciseth thereby, ex- which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that they which is, lest they which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be a fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Would anyone happen to have a cup of water, a glass of water? Okay. In this race, let's start, let's run, and let's continue to run. Um. The chapter starts out with wherefore, and to really get the whole um, context of everything, I would have had to read all of chapter 11, but I did not want to take the time to do that. 
But I think that this letter was, I, I think that the Hebrew people were going through some discouraging times. And I think that this chapter especially was, was a, was written to encourage them, where it says, um, he, he tells them to reflect back on the men of old. And, and as you go through that chapter, when, it, when I think of, of, of running this race, these men ran and they won. And, and I see that. And he tells them, look back here, you have this, this, this uh, whole cloud of, of, of witnesses that um, <clears throat> thank you okay this uh, <clears throat> cloud of witnesses that have went on before you and I think that it even goes beyond that today we have that cloud of people or those those people around us that are are successful in this race uh, that they are running but more than any of that, he tells them, he said, look to Jesus. And I think that that's sometimes where, maybe I'm speaking of myself, is where, where, where I fail. I get to looking all around and seeing so many things that maybe aren't working out the way I think they should work out. But when my focus should be on Jesus... Jesus has went this path before us. It says that he was the author and the finisher of our faith. And then I like the rest of it. And this was the thing that kept him going. It says here, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy. That was set before him. And I think that that joy was simply he knew that this was the will of the father. And this is what I wanted to do. And then in the bigger picture, I think that he saw of that this was going to be the saving of mankind. And uh, that kept him uh, pressing on. Also, when I think <clears throat> again, I want to go to this thing of focus. When, when we're in this race, we have to have a proper focus. <clears throat> it talks about some of the men back here in, um, in, in chapter 11. In verses 15 and 16, it says, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heaven <clears throat> wherefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he hath prepared for them a city so here they they had their focus on on a uh, a different place you know um do you ever hear the statement of the good old days um and i i, I understand what what we're saying when we're saying that there but I think we should be looking for the better days, the uh, uh, better days ahead. Um, even though we did have some good, good old days, but <clears throat> those men of faith were men that kept 
their focus on God. <clears throat> and uh, it's, it's always a beautiful, Paul's a beautiful picture to me. And, and the, the thing that drove him uh, was to know Christ. Um, Paul, Paul said that his goal was to know Christ, to be like Christ, and to be all that Christ had in mind for him. <clears throat> in Philippians, there's some very... Um, I like how I like how Paul says it there in Philippians chapter three, verses thirteen and fourteen. <clears throat> he said, "Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do: forgetting those things which are behind." Again, the idea of those things back there. I forget those things. And reaching forth onto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I often, in my earlier years, had to <clears throat> often thought that that prize and I, uh, was that he was was uh, maybe heaven or or something like that. And and that's. I'm not saying that that's not part of it, but I think the thing that he was actually reaching or he was striving for, yet to back up into verse 10, where he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And I think um, that Paul's life... That was what uh, just uh, his energy was all focused toward that there. Um, and I think that this is just another example to us that we should not let anything take our eyes off our goal. And that is Christ. And as I go through my message, I want to maybe point out some things there. You know, we should be single minded uh, in this chapter it, it's kind of like a race. Someone is running a race, and we know back in in uh, the Greeks and all them the the um, I'll say stadiums. I can't get the word to come to my mind, but uh, coliseums. That was that was a big thing of there, and um, <clears throat> those those men that performed at them went to a lot of pain to. To be able to develop their bodies that they could do um, a lot of the things that they could do. Okay, I want to look a little bit closer at this race. And when I think of the preparation for the race, I have to think of priorities. Uh, As we prepare or as we are in this race, we have to have Right priorities. Um, Our priorities are going to determine the choices that we make. And those choices that we make are going to determine our destiny. Now, I can try to convince you that some things are my priorities. Or, or priority to me. But I can tell you that you can tell me what my priorities are by the things that I choose. 
am I plain in what I'm, I'm saying there? Um, and so often I, I just think of, of how important it is of the things that I make a priority. And those things that are your priority are the things that no matter how busy you are, you're going, you're going to make time for them. Um, and I will, it will be the, the same here. In verse 1 it says that we are to lay aside every weight and sin. And the sin which does so easily beset us. When someone's preparing or when a runner, whether he's running a marathon or what he's running, he does not um, put any extra weight on him. He wants to get as light as he can. He wants to make anything that's going to restrict him um, from doing his best. He's going to eliminate it. Uh, when I would... Uh, <clears throat> My first eight years of my uh, formal schooling would have been in the public school setting. Uh, and the boys that were on the wrestling team, especially when I got into junior high, those boys, they wanted to keep their weight. Uh, you, you would, they would wrestle in different weight classes, but they would do everything they could do to keep weight. Those guys didn't drink Pepsi and snacks and all that. The good thing that that did for those boys was that they ate properly because they wanted to be in the best shape that they could be in when when they um, went to um, wrestle. And it's interesting to me here. It says uh, that we are to lay aside every weight, and then it goes on to say and the sin. So I think that there's there are things that maybe aren't necessarily sin but it's a weight that holds us back and in second in first corinthians 6 verse 12 it says all things are lawful unto me but but all things are not expedient all things are lawful for me but i will not be be brought under the power of any all things are lawful for me but all things are not expedient all things, I'm reading another verse, that's the reason why it sounds like I'm repeating. Um, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And I think that where Christ wants us get to get to the place is that the choice does not become what's right and wrong. That should just be a given. But he wants us to make choices between what is good and what is better. And I think that that there is, uh, and that's um, because some of those things just is not going to edify the body. I think one of the things in this race is that we are to choose, we should choose friends that are committed to the race. Wrong friends will have values and activities that may deter you from the course, and uh, that might be a weight. In first, in first Corinthians fifteen verse thirty-three, it says, "Be not deceived; evil communications corrupt, corrupt good manners." The NIV translates that translates that by saying, "Do not be misled; bad company corrupts good character." 
So I think it's very important, and I know we often talk to young people in this about good company, but it's also for us as older folks. And I guess an example that I can give a little bit about this, and sometimes when we give illustrations, they break down somewhere. But again, I go back to my... My <clears throat> my school days, um, in our physical education class, um, the one the the one uh, session that we had to do some running of the fifteen a fifteen hundred meter race. Believe it or not, at one day I did like to run, but <laughs> that's kind of past. Uh, but anyways. I got it, and so in that class, in my junior high class, there was between 600 and 700 students in that in our class. But so they had to break us down into different groups. Uh, but anyways, and then in those in those groups, they broke you down. And then one day when we were getting to run that race, and I got in the line with a number of boys, and my um, teacher, he came over to me and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said said, you should not run with those, with that group of boys. And I thought, well, what's the purpose? And then he explained to me, <laughs> he said, you will be able to beat all them. But he said, I want you to run with a group that maybe you might not win the race, but they're going to push you. And where that breaks down is, I think, in the church, the weaker or the stronger should carry the weaker. But the point was there was he simply said that you will run a slower time with that group than what you will with this group over here. And uh, but I th- so I think it's important. And I think young folks, I don't know how many are here, but when your parents might say now, be careful about those friends. The reason is because they can become um, a weight to you or activities our diets, and what I mean about our diets, when I think about um, what are you, uh, what are you giving your time to, even in your um, internet reading, your material, your sports, um, I think of the, all those things can become downfalls to you in your race. I guess I never dreamt. <clears throat> My wife and I were married in 1983, and we we lived uh, next doors to a man that was retired from the NASA program. And that was just when the cordless phones were coming out in your house. You know, before that, you had to have about a a space around your phone, but you could walk in your house and talk on a phone, and that was pretty amazing. But one Sunday evening, we decided to go visit these neighbors, <clears throat> just to be friendly to them. And that man, <clears throat> he would have been in his 70s then. And I don't know what he knew, because it seemed like a far-fetched idea to me. But he said, if you live a normal lifespan, he said, he, he told me that he would not see this, but he said, I would. He said, you're going to be able to walk everywhere with a phone in your hand and talk. I thought, Wow. You know, come on. Can we believe today how that thing has changed the world? 
that, that, that phone. Uh, unbelievable things. It has some good purposes, but I think that it's something that we have to be very careful with. I think that these besetting sins can be different for different people. Uh, what might be a trial to you may not be to someone else. Um, it may be pride for you or for me. Vanity, worldliness, uh, things that, when, when I think of the besetting sins, and, and one of the biggest besetting sins and I think that he talks about here is the sin of unbelief. Um, <clears throat> You know, he says here, uh, if you would go back to chapter 3 in Hebrews, the writer says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And again, he says it in chapter 4, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same, same example of unbelief. You know that same question that Satan, the serpent, asked Eve back in the garden, hath God said, is the same thing that comes to us many times. Does, really, does, does God really expect this of me? You know, or... Um, Or I can just do this and it's not going to have any harm with me. And I think another thing that, that we, that, um, another thing sometimes on, along this idea of unbelief, of thinking that God is not able to carry us through. You know, the children of Israel told, asked Moses, what, did you just bring us out here to the desert? That we, that we're going to die? Well, we may as well just stay back in Egypt. Um, but I think that um, let's not allow that thing, any sort of unbelief. You know, to me, I think God is able. John Byers, I don't know how many of you know him. But it, uh, one time he was sharing it at St. Thomas. And there's a phrase that he says that has... That has uh, Stuck with me, always faithful. And that's, that's a description of God. Always faithful. <clears throat> I think another thing that can hold us back in this, in this race is secret sin in our lives. Um, moral sin, those things that no one else can see, but they're taking place within our own hearts. In, in Colossians 3 verse 8 it says, Put now ye all, all, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. <clears throat> Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. I think that um, it's good for us to reflect on what is really taking place in my heart. Is there something there that I am not 
being transparent with. You know, transparent. There, there's nothing better than transparency. That will, um, whether it's it's in a husband and wife relationship, whether it's in a church relationship or any relationship, when there's open transparency, there is just a real blessing uh, that comes. And each one of us are going to have to, again, deal with our own selves and on those issues like that there. <clears throat> Run with patience is another aspect of this race. Uh, I like to look at it as a marathon instead of a, a short burst of speed and then a burnout. But let's look at it that this is something that we're in, that we're in it for the long, the long haul. Um, and again, there, look to Jesus. Um, he endured. Uh, there's going to be times in this, in this race that things are not going to be easy. But we have to, in those times, we have to endure. And not on our own strength, but with the help of Jesus Christ. And uh, I think that the time, the things that we help, when I talk about the focus, I think that, that um, just as Jesus and his focus was to do the will of the Father, that should be our, our focus. And then other things are going to flow out of that, how we relate to each other, how we, um, uh, the services that we, that we do for other people or, or whatever. <clears throat> And it says about uh, uh, about Jesus in in First uh, Peter. It says, "For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself." To him that judges righteously. And I, the, the, the thing I want to get from here is, let's commit ourselves to, to God and to Christ. And, um, and, when, and when things, when things maybe get going tough, that we commit ourselves to him and that he sees us through there. It says that Christ did no sin, but still he suffered. But responded without malice. And to me that's, that's just a beautiful thing. Then also endurance through chastisement. Which our brother shared a little. Some about this here. But when I think about chastisement. Or discipline. That is how that we are perfected. And it is how we are refined. Let me ask you the question. If who, who, um, who loves his child the more? The most, the father who just allows his child to do what he wants to do, or is it the one who corrects, trains, and maybe even punishes? I think that each one of us here would say that yes, it's the father that does that, that truly loves <clears throat> loves his son more than the one that does not. You know, it may not be pleasant when God disciplines us, but it's a sign 
It's a sign of his deep love for us. You know, I had to think of, um, when I think of this, this thing of suffering, sometimes we fixate, we, we, we fixate on the whys of why, why do, why do people suffer? <clears throat> and I don't think that we should do that because there's a lot of times that, that, that question why cannot be answered. <clears throat> So let's not fixate on us on that, but let's see this as God moving in our lives. Um, you know, <clears throat> I had to think of Peter and his great confession there in Matthew 16. When Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? He told them that uh, or they said that some some say you are John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elias. But he said, then Jesus asked them the question, but whom do you say that I am? And Jesus and Peter said, thou art Christ, the son of God. Uh, Tremendous testimony, tremendous confession. But what happened just a few verses later in that in that same chapter Jesus began to tell them that he was going to have to suffer and he was going to when they were going up to Jerusalem and that he was going to have to die. And it says that Peter rebuked him and said, no, there's no way this is going to happen. And Jesus response to him was, he said, get behind me, Satan, for you do not savor the things of God, but the things of man. And I think so many times we do everything in the world that we can do to keep our, to keep or escape some of these things that God brings into our lives. And I'm not so sure that sometimes we aren't short circuiting the process or the or the work that God wants to do in our lives. <clears throat> it says here. Um. In verse 11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I see that this chastisement and the the, the thing that I always, when I, I said earlier about the fathers, I think that we as fathers... Sometimes in our corrections have made mistakes. Maybe went about it the wrong way. Uh, maybe did not know the whole story. But that's the difference between an earthly father and our heavenly father. Our heavenly father does not make those type of mistakes that we may have made as an earthly father. And he does these things. He brings these things into our experiences to purify us and that it yields the fruits of righteousness. In fact, it calls it here the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Um, I think um, when, I, when I think of this, the, this chastisement, it makes us more holy, more dead to sin in the world and more alive unto God. And when I think the, when, when the idea of peaceable here, I think that 
You know, when we allow a lot of these things to take place, we do not become bitter about them. We do not fight fight about it. There's a peace that probably comes about that would not come about in any other way. I think that it produces peace, calmness, submission in the soul. And I think it makes our heart restful in its confidence toward God. You know, often, I, I think when we as fathers correctly discipline our children, and I know, and when I say this, I want you all to know that I'm not saying this thinking that I did things all right, but when I did do it right, it brought a peace to my child. When that child may have done wrong and there's a correct discipline, it brings a peace. And I think it's the same way God, there's a peace can come about. This is not my own quote, but I came across, across this quote somewhere. It says, I have never known a Christian who was not benefited by afflictions. I have seen none who was not able to say that his trials produced some happy effect on his religious character and on his real happiness in life. If this be so, then no matter how severe our trials, we should submit to them without a murmur. The more severe they are, the more we shall be yet be blessed on earth or in heaven. And I'm not quite sure who to give credit for that quote. John 15 also shows the progression of, of Christ's pruning. And I, you know, it says that Christ's presence brings fruit. I'm not going to read, the, but it says that Christ's pruning brings forth more fruit. So there again, we see uh, this pruning or this purging uh, that we have to. <clears throat> allow Christ to do in our lives. And sometimes that may be painful, but we must do that. James, in James 1, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and and entire, wanting nothing. How many times have I run ahead of God, became impatient, and the work was not perfect? But if we allow God to do that work, sometimes we just have to stand back and allow God to work the things out instead of trying to work them out myself. Then we need the exhortation or encouragement, and our brother talked about that a little bit again In verses 12 and 13 where it says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way and let it rather be healed. I think that there are times that, that we become tired. You know, you're in a struggle. There's something going on. And we become tired uh, and that's when we need others. And I think that that's, there's a twofold thing here. First of all, I think that there has to be a, a humility on our part to allow people to help. To help. You know, sometimes it's just, <clears throat> it's just hard 
to to allow someone to help you. Um, in a long distance running in these marathons, from what I understand, um, often the, <clears throat> the runner will have a team and there will be people standing along the line uh, along the way as, that they're going to be running. And uh, they will maybe give them nourishment, water, some type of juice to uh, to hydrate them and give them encouragement. And I don't think it matters how strong of a Christian you think you are. You're going to need that help. Um, I had to think of of Moses there in Exodus chapter 17. And I think that we would consider Moses a, a great man of God. But when they entered that battle there with the Amalekites... And he told Joshua to go to the battle and that he would go up on the hill with his rod. And that rod did a lot of good things over the years. But anyways, it says that when Moses held his arms out, up, the battle was going went good. But when his arms went down, the battle did not go good. And it says that Aaron came up on one side of him and her on the other side. And held those hands up. Moses could not do it on his own. But to me there there's a beautiful picture there. Of, of someone first of all allowing them to help him. And those men they're being <clears throat> able to, um, to help them. Hebrews 10.24. And again I'm sorry brother that had devotions. I'm reading a lot of these Verses over, it says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. <clears throat> let us diligently and attentively consider each other's trials and difficulties in weaknesses and let us and, and feel for each other. <clears throat> that idea of provoke unto good works it means that we are to arouse and we are to excite and we are to call into action. And then verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. And again, when I think of, uh, of assembling together, it tells us that... Um, It tells us that God has given the church different gifts. And those those gifts are given to the church not for my good. If you have a certain gift, not for your good. But it says for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come. In the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. Again there. Um, I don't think, when, when, I, when, when I look at how God has designed the church, I don't think that he has ever, he ever intended for us to do it alone. Uh, 
I, the older I get, the more I see the, the need of the body of Christ working together and, um, and allowing each other to use their gift to, to help each other. And then, <clears throat> lastly, I want to look at peace and holiness, verses 14 through 16, where it says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fall of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. When I think of peace, I think that we need peace with God and peace with man to, again, run effectively. In Romans 12, verse 18, it says, If it be possible, as much as lieth lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I don't think that just is meaning that we just agree with everything that comes down the pike. But I do think it means that we should be people that... uh, are peaceable people, people that are easy to be entreated, easy uh, to get along. Romans, another verse in Romans says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things where, wherewith one may edify another. <clears throat> I don't think <clears throat> I have to do much explaining there. It just those things that make for peace are the things that we should that we should follow after. Holiness is required to see God. It just simply says, without holiness, it is impossible to see God. Again, a life of moral purity. A life of forgiveness. And when I talk about a life of forgiveness, I mean their heart forgiveness. And, uh, that verse in Matthew 18, verse 35, it says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And I think that there's a difference between just saying that I forgive someone and a heart forgiveness. When When there's heart forgiveness, you have truly, you have truly forgiven. You know, and I think that that's very important um, because there's a lot of people that that takes down. And um, I tell people that that's something that I would encourage everyone to make sure that it is it is current. It is it is um, it is up to date and don't have the don't have the thinking. Well. Someday, maybe I'll take care of that. I'll just give a little bit of a personal, and the reason why I say that is, um, I was one of those fellows that the COVID virus became very friendly with me. <laughs> well, what I mean by that, I got very sick. And uh, <clears throat> I ended up in Hershey Hospital. I was in intensive care. But anyways, I remember when one of the, doc- one of the, uh, the doctor 
when I was in intensive care, he came and told me that was trying to explain to me what what they wanted to do. And I said, um, finally, I said, I just can't follow you. And I said, could you call my son up and stuff? But this is the point. When you get to that point, you cannot hardly think. So don't ever get in your mind that I'm just going to wait down the road here somewhere. Keep those relationships current today. Also, let's have a life void of contempt for the things of God. And what I'm saying about that, I take that from the life of Esau here. You know, Esau felt that an empty stomach was a greater cost to him than losing God's blessing. To me, he just simply had a contempt for the things of God. So let's, 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 uh, when I talk about priorities, those things of God, let's make them a priority in our life. If we want to win the race, we are going to have to take up our cross and follow Christ. And I'm just going to close again with those verses that I started out with that I hope can be the testimony of each one of us where it says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. God bless you.